Welcome. I'm Warren Odess Gillette, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Abdul Masag Gardirian on October 26, 2020. Abdul Masag is an author, researcher, and emeritus professor at McGill University Faculty of Medicine in Montreal, as well as a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. One of his works is called Materialism, Moral and Social Consequences. He's written another book entitled Creative Dimensions of Suffering, which explores the role of creativity to treat suffering. It's this book that we feature in the interview. It's a combination of psychiatry and spirituality that illustrates the power of creativity to treat suffering. It includes a look at the lives of some famous artists who suffered, including Van Gogh, Tchaikovsky, and Beethoven, and gives insight into how they dealt with their adversity through creativity. I started the interview by asking Abdul Masag where he grew up. And what was religious life like growing up? I grew up in northern part of Iran as a member of the Baha'i community and minority. Life for me and for my family was very difficult. I completed my high school in Tehran and then I entered the medical school and graduated from the Faculty of Medicine of Tabriz. And then I decided to leave Iran for educational purposes. Really. I left Iran for many years before the revolution started. My reason was to get a specialty, a specialty in the field of psychiatry. You said it was difficult. Can you explain or describe how it was difficult for you growing up? Difficult because the fact that as a Baha'i discrimination, I could feel it during the school years, but in the university was a different type of level and it was a bit better. For my family too, being members of this Baha'i community, they went through a difficult time, but it was not as difficult as the revolution began in 1979. Mm-hmm. Are your parents the first generation of Baha'is in your family, or how far back does That's, it go? Well, it goes back to the, I am the third generation mm-hmm. uh, from my mother's side, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were Baha'is and my grandmother was Baha'is. And also the situation changed gradually. In the beginning was very, very difficult. But then the Baha'i community began to uh, expand. But on the other hand, uh, there was some peaceful relationship in many cities in Iran to some extent. Mm -hmm. In the villages and the small towns, the persecution was more severe, but generally was not too difficult. After the revolution, the situation changed dramatically. Of course, the opposition toward the Baha'i faith and Baha'i community grew faster and more dramatic. For example, my older brother did not leave Iran He decided to stay for family and for the Baha'i community. My younger brothers 
left after the revolution and came to the United States and Canada for studies. Now, my older brother was a very distinguished member of the University of Tehran. He was a professor and he was very much loved and respected. After the revolution, he was expelled from the university and he lost his job. One of the students of him decided to hire him in his laboratory and gave him a job. And his wife, too, also was at the university. She also lost her job and she got a job. So it was very difficult. Some of my members of the family, they suffered imprisonment because of the prejudices very strong. Their properties, some of them were confiscated. As you may know, the Baha'i faith in Iran at present time continues to be under pressure and persecution. For example, young people cannot go to universities. They were denied education at the university level, and this denial continues up to present time. So as a result, they have to go outside of the country, or there is a online type of university which being supported by professors, Baha'i or non-Baha'i around the world, and through online they receive some education. So as you see, um, the discrimination and persecution unfortunately continues. But the attitude of Baha'is have been throughout all these trial and uh, difficulties, very calm, very uh, loving toward people, and people really gained a lot of trust and confidence and friendship toward them. Nevertheless, the system continues, and they try to make their living in any way possible, which is very hard. So, Abdul Masag, what is the fundamental reason that Baha'is are persecuted in Iran? It is mainly because of the power of the clergy. They have been very much against the Baha'i development and the evolution because of a number of reasons. For example, Baha'i principles, certain principles go completely different as compared to the ideologies of a Muslim population. Of course, Baha'i faith and Baha'is respect Islam because Baha'i faith came after Islam and respect their sacred writings and so forth. But nevertheless, they felt that these principles can be harmful for them. For example, the Baha'i faith teaches that there is no clergy. Humanity reached in a level of maturity that they can really express their views and their ideas and make decisions, and they are able to read and search and find the truth. This means that the clergy system in Iran will lose its advantage and work. Second was that equality of men and women, for example, that is even up to present time, after some 178 years, still the Baha'is are persecuted if they are together. The issue of the equality, it is very much in the mind of the clergy that this should be banned and not acceptable. Another one is that the issue of a spiritual solution to the economic problem, 
or the issue of religion and science, for example, in the Baha'i faith, it is believed that if uh, some concept and ideas which comes from religion but is not in accordance with scientific truth, therefore that is not acceptable. This doesn't mean that the religious belief from the sacred writings, but those ideology which is partly superstition. So really this harmony between religion and science is, a, is an important factor. Then, for example, the issue of education of children for all, regardless of any kind of prejudices. In other words, elimination of religious or racial or any kind of prejudice is not acceptable. They don't say that they don't agree with that, but they know that this means that if you are Muslim or Baha'i or Christian or Jewish, you all should live together, and this is not what's going on in Iran. Uh, and also for them, Islam is the most important, the last, and therefore the rest of religion, especially new religion such as Baha'i faith, is not very much appreciated. And there are many other elements that they are against it. What got you interested in studying psychology when you were a young man? My interest in psychology and creativity began when I was very young. Really, it grew through my observation of some uh, artists and also my study of psychology. I felt that this is very interesting. But when I began my practice as a psychiatrist, I was interested to see how some patients with emotional disorders who had difficulty to express their feelings and their thoughts verbally could express this feeling through art, through painting, through music, and so forth. So I decided as part of my practice to develop a type of therapy, which is called art therapy. You will find it quite a bit, art therapy, music therapy, dance therapy, and so forth. And through that, I came to this realization that a patient who was very depressed and wasn't able to articulate or talk much, or certain patients who had more serious mental illness and wouldn't communicate, they started to paint, and these paintings became a second language of expression and communication, and you could then understand better their feeling which they weren't able to verbalize it. And that was very helpful. And in fact, and I expanded my art therapy to group therapy, and this was in the initial stage of my psychiatric treatment and added. And also I began to realize that among these patients suffering from mental or neurological disorders, whether they were depressed or were elated, they really had a quite a gift of artistic creativity. As I speak later on, there are certain groups of the patients with psychiatric disorders that are very creative, especially bipolar patients. And there are patients who are not mentally ill as such, but they have developmental problems such as Asperger syndrome, which is part of the developmental disorder, which communication is very difficult. 
So I began to find these gems, these values, hidden values, hidden treasures in this kind of population that society doesn't know, and they communicate with others through art and through artistic or creativity. We can discover this. So, Abdul Masag, can you explain what is creativity and its relationship with suffering? Sure, sure. Creativity can be defined in different ways. There is no one universal definition of creativity. But the simplest one, and which agreed by many, is that creativity is a phenomenon characterized by originality, expressiveness, and imagination or imaginative productivity. For example, invention, discovery, this is part of this process. So the power of imagination plays a very important role. Many of the artists, philosophers, and writers, the power of imagination become very creative and they develop more and more. In my book, is also discussing suffering. Now, suffering is a universal experience, as you know, but there is a silver lining in the process of suffering, which is often ignored or not understood. And that is the meaning and the significance of calamities or of disorders or suffering that we go through. Now, Igniting a spirit of creativity in some people is part of this silver lining that is hidden in the suffering. In my book, Creative Dimension of Suffering, that silver lining based on psychology and science is explored and is discussed significantly. There is a difference between physical and physical pain and injury, and psychological and spiritual feeling. For example, according to Eric Castle, an expert in the field of suffering, some patients may uh, tolerate pain without seeing it as a type of suffering. The example that he gives is that the labor pains of an expecting mother may not be experienced or perceived as suffering. This mother, she has perhaps excruciating pain. She doesn't call it suffering at all because she is happy that a child being born. So our perception of pain changes depending on whether the pain is something controllable, something very morbid and impossible to overcome, or is uncontrollable. And of course, with this issue of suffering and being able to face and overcome it is resilience. And resilience comes with creativity. Many of the people who have been very creative, they also have been resilient. Viktor Frankl, as you may know, a survivor of the Nazi concentration camp, makes a statement which is very interesting. And he says that suffering ceases to be suffering at some point. Uh, At the moment, it finds a meaning 
such as the meaning of sacrifice. So suffering ceases to be suffering at the moment it finds a meaning such as the meaning of sacrifice. Now, what got you started on this investigation between this link between creativity and suffering? What really interested me, attracted me to explore the relationship between creativity and human suffering was partly related to my observation and partly due to doing some research in this field during my practice and teaching at the university. I noted that some of the people who suffered depression or bipolar disorder, for example, had remarkable and sometimes amazing creative ability, or had been working as an artist and as a professional writer or artist. This made me think about it, that this combination means something very special. And this ability of producing something very exciting, very creative, amidst so much suffering, such as depression or dementia, it is really a connection that for long has been hidden or not discovered, and I decided to do some research in that. I'm speaking with Abdul Masag Kadirian, an author, researcher, and emeritus professor at McGill University Faculty of Medicine in Montreal, as well as a distinguished life fellow of the American Psychiatric Association. He's written a book entitled Creative Dimensions of Suffering, which explores the role of creativity to treating suffering, and we're discussing his book in the interview. Now, Abdul Masag, you explore some historical figures in regards to the creative dimensions of suffering. But you told me outside this interview that the major focus at present is research on the relationship between suffering and creativity in different groups of people. So I guess my first question is, what different groups of people have you focused on? Right. That's a very important question. There have been a number of researches which show that patients suffering from mental or neurological disorders showed artistic, musical, writing, or cognitive, creative expressions which were unexpected. For example, patients with Asperger syndrome, although are very withdrawn and have very difficult time to relate to others, in other words, difficulty in interpersonal relationship, they are endowed with amazing, incredible intelligence and memory. And this has been documented quite a lot. It is a developmental compensation, perhaps, for the other weakness and disability that they have, or it could be genetics, but whatever it is, amidst that difficult disability that they have, disability of not being able to establish a meaningful relationship, not because they don't want it, but the condition is as such that they feel very uncomfortable with people. 
I don't know if you have heard about a book, it's called The Genius Genes, published by a psychiatrist from uh, Irish background. And he identifies a large number of people who have been suffering from Asperger's disease without being recognized because until the uh, second part of the 20th century, most of the patients who were suffering from this kind of disorders, they uh, were not identified as such, were sometimes they were diagnosed as schizophrenic other other psychosis and so forth. This is one group which I can mention that they really bring a new type of development in understanding of patients who are very gifted, but they are not able to express it. Likewise, among patients with bipolar disorder, studies show that there is an overall representation of these patients who are highly creative in art, literature, music, as compared to the general population. There has been a number of studies done in the United States and then in Europe. These studies showed that bipolar patients or those who suffer a little bit lighter type of disorder is called cyclotimic disorder. Not all of them, but many of them become very, very creative in many ways. Now, this is one group of the population. Another one which is very amazing, and I'm going to share with you a case studied by a neurologist, Dr. Bruce Miller, and his associate. Together, they studied this field of neurological disorders such as dementia. As an example, to clarify it better, they evaluated a patient who was 68 years of age. He was a man who for 12 years was suffering dementia. And generally speaking, it is assumed that dementia is permanent and progressive and deterioration of memory, judgment, and other aspects of intellectual nature continues. Now, looking at the life of this man, they noted that previously he was a successful businessman without any interest in art. He was not an artist. As of age 56, he began to paint images. And that surprised the neurologist. And at age 58, without any help of uh, artists himself, he began to improve more and more in his visual art and began to get a lot of attention. But in the same time, he also developed some symptoms of psychosis, hallucination, sometimes delusion, and sometimes forgetfulness. This became quite a puzzle for the doctors. During the following few years, he created, in spite of all those limitations, he created paintings with increased detail. Between age 63 and 66, his paintings won awards in art shows, some of them very important ones. At 68, 
his drawing showed art-shaped doll-like figures, which was another way of his expression of artistic work. During evaluation, he appeared to be remote and unstable, with little facial emotional expression. In other words, he was demented, and he was, in a way, not very much in contact with reality. But on the other hand, he had amazing artistic gift. In spite of all of this, he also had a heightened awareness of his environment. He knew that where he is and what he's doing. Finally, they decided to do a much more deeper evaluation, and MRI showed bitemporal atrophy of the brain. So really, he was neurologically suffering from a very serious dementia illness. And then later on, I read in the American Academy of Neurology, revealed that new creative or musical abilities may emerge in the face of a steady cognitive decline. Even though they become more and more demented, not able to remember, cognitive function declines. With this suffering, they are also develop creative achievement, accomplishment. And many of them suffer from a type of dementia which often is associated with decline and deterioration of dementia. So these and other emerging scientific findings are very encouraging in a way, and they also have positive effect against the stigma of mental illness or a stigma of disability of dementia and so forth. In your book, The Creative Dimensions of Suffering, you had explored some historical figures, as I said earlier. Can you pick a mm-hmm. historical figure and describe what their suffering was and what their creative outlet was and how it treated their suffering? A person who comes to my mind is the life and development and emergence is the life of Helen Keller. She was, as you know, less than two years of age that she came down with a terrible fever. This fever, which was obviously due to an infection, left her blind, deaf, and consequently mute. So she was deprived completely from three very major elements of human survival. She couldn't hear, she couldn't see, she couldn't talk. When she was seven years old, a teacher from the Perkins Institute for the Blind, a great teacher, her name was Anne Sullivan, she came to treat her in the request of the family. Gradually, she taught her to hear. She was very creative how to do that, because at that time, the facilities of modern time was not available. So she taught her to hear by spelling words into her hands and to enable her to see by touching objects. Uh, Later, Helen was able to learn 
how to talk and uh, to know what others uh, are talking about to be to understand to hear and what she did was that she was taught to put her hand on the mouth of the person who was talking so that figure out that one or two persons are talking with each other what do they say by movement of the lips of these people and that was because she was taught contacting objects what kind of movement what does it mean and that took a long time but this teacher was able to teach her and to help her so through perseverance and the creative approaches of her gifted teacher she learned how to communicate with people she eventually advanced and graduated from Radcliffe College at age 24 and spent her life helping and inspiring others with similar problems in fact she wrote articles and gave lectures and raised funds for the American Foundation for the Blind so she really became a pillar a monument of encouraging inspiring people to help this group of uh, patients who were so deprived she continued this at the age of 80 she was honored by the foundation for the overseas blind by having an international award named after her uh, she demonstrated by her life and by her perseverance the power of determination to overcome extreme limitations and these are few words from her which i would like to share and she wrote at one point character cannot be developed in ease character cannot be developed in ease and quiet only through experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened and ambitions inspired and success achieved these are her words so abdul masag what was the creative aspect that compensated for her her suffering in that case yeah. the creative aspect was to be able to overcome her disability and first of all collaborate with her very gifted teacher and have patience and faith and work very hard and not easily give up then rising to a station to a capacity that she became an inspiration and the speaking writing lectures that was really a new development which we never was predicted in the beginning so i think that was through her creative ability and her sense of resilience to reach to that point abdul masag would you like to read an excerpt from creative dimensions of suffering sure there is 
the paragraph in my book that I wanted to share is very simple and straightforward. I thought that perhaps readers would enjoy it. I wrote, psychological stress is one of the most pervasive phenomena of our time, and it can affect people from all walks of life. It is a condition that occurs when there is a discrepancy between the demands made upon a person and his capacity or capability to respond to those demands. Dr. Linford Dries reported a patient whose main complaint was an intense anxiety. As the psychiatrist began to ask a series of questions about the patient's medical history, the patient commented that he could tell the doctor exactly what was the matter. The therapist asked him to please do so if you want to tell me what exactly his problem. The patient replied that the problem was his work. He was employed in a fruit shop and his job was to separate the large oranges from the small ones. The therapist encouraged him to explain further. But the patient replied, that's it. It's decision, decision, <laughs> decisions. So, Abdul Masag, where can people find your book, Creative Dimensions of Suffering? Well, this book is published by the Baha'i Publishing in the United States and is available through their publishing and distribution service as well as in the Amazon.com or Amazon CA and by some other organizations, they may have it available, but it is very easy to find. And it is available in print as well as in Kindle and other form of the online type. Abdul Masag is writing your creative outlet, and do you have others in addition? Yes, at present time, I can say that it is a very important art, and I continuing to not only to write, also to talk and to participate in conferences, discussing issues such as psychosocial and the spiritual issues, as well as giving some counseling and doing some research. My special interest at present time is the relationship between spirituality and medicine, because I have been teaching at McGill University spirituality and ethics in medicine, and I feel that this is very much crucial for future physicians to acknowledge the importance of spirituality for well-being and healing of patients. Well, Abdul Masag, thank you so much for taking this time to share with us your work and your book, Creative Dimensions of Suffering. Thank you very much. 
Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Abdul Massag Gardirian, distinguished psychiatrist and author of Creative Dimensions of Suffering. You can find this interview and other interviews on the website abahaiperspective.com and on the YouTube channel A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
through these empty streets you have built inside your heart. I wonder if I might find you here, hidden beneath the thin veneer. As a passage crumbles away, I wonder if I'm here to stay. The roadway decays beneath my feet. I'm so very tired. I'm losing sleep, and I feel like I I could just die today if I couldn't find you.
lesson of being Love me that I may love thee I may love thee Oh, son of being Love me that I may love thee I may love thee Cause if thou lovest me not my love can in no eyes reach thee, in no eyes reach thee. If thou lovest me not, my love can in no eyes reach thee. No, this so soon do you hear me singing at the top of my lungs? Creator is God. Then
enter therein And tarry not, tarry not Blessed is the spot And the house and the place And the city and the heart And the mountain And the refuge and the cave And the valley and the land And the sea and the island And the meadow Where mention of God hath been made And his praise 